This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, helping restaurants bring hospitality online. Learn more at getbento.com slash opening soon. That's G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash opening soon. Hi, this is Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCreary. And we are the hosts of Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We listen to HRN and are actually guests on several shows before bringing our own show to this network. And it's been so amazing to see and hear the unparalleled content that comes from our community, even with limited financial resources. HRN's been making food radio for 10 years. HRN staff and hosts make it look really easy, but making the best food radio out there is actually really hard work. We're super excited to be a part of Heritage Radio Network, and we invite you to join us in making sure that in our second decade, HRN is stronger than ever. So become a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate right now. You can even show your support by selecting Opening Soon in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Radio Network. We are your hosts. I'm Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCurry. And if you're just joining us for our first season, Opening Soon is a show all about the business of opening restaurants. We are talking to some of the world's greatest chefs and restaurateurs and vendors and the people who help take your idea to Opening Soon. If you've listened to one of our podcasts before, you'll know that... Um, Jenny and I are not amazing restaurateurs. We're actually pretty bad ones. Um, but in our new company, or our company that's now six years old, Till at NYC, we've been fortunate to work with a whole lot of restaurant startups and uh, people that aren't restaurant startups and kind of watch them through go through their journey of opening and um, really feel like they have a lot of lessons and insight that can help people out there when they're thinking about or starting on their own project. And so that's why we're here, and that's why we're asking questions from the experts that are doing it right. Um, today we have with us Missy Robbins, who's the chef and owner of Lilia and Missy in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Uh, before we dive into our interview with Missy, we're going to uh, do a quick wrap-up from last week uh, with our interview with Morgan Tucker and Josh Morgan about sourcing. And so we have five key takeaways. And number one was um, to treat your vendors like your partners. And I think this kind of goes for basically everyone that you deal with within your restaurant is, you know, to look at them as a very integral part of what you're doing and to treat them like a partner, not just as somebody that's selling you something. Missy's nodding her head. Yes, I am. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And as, as somebody who could also be a vendor, we appreciate being treated like partners. We consider all of our restaurant partners that. Um, the other key takeaway was focus on your strengths. So you're a chef or you're a restaurateur. You're not necessarily a kitchen designer or a builder. So um, you might not be amazing at logistics. So leave that to some of the experts. Uh, number three was to learn who will be servicing the equipment that you do buy before you buy it. So, you know, obviously um, equipment can break. And you know, if you are a small restaurant and you have one range, then that range goes down, you're in big trouble. So you need to know who's going to be there and who's going to be there quick and that they're going to be good. Uh, the next one was vet the equipment. So ask your manufacturer if you can um, if you can go to one of their restaurant clients and actually check out the machines in use. And then the other key nugget here was always ask for the extended warranty because manufacturers don't just give it to you. You have to actually ask for it. Did you ask for the extended warranty, Missy? I, I'm not sure about that. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, the last one on the list is to lease items that are more prone to breakage. Um, and Josh, in our interview, talked about... Um, 
ice machines as well as uh, wear washing equipment. And um, I think it's sometimes it can be better when you're on your lease. And I think uh, we were fortunate enough to get uh, a listener comment. And I think Jenny can expand a little bit on that. Yes, yeah, so we actually had a listener email us after. Which we love. Uh, which we love. So please email us yeah. your questions, um, DMS or any follow-up nuggets. We will post them on the blog or repeat them here on the show, but we had um, somebody from Insinger Machines, the president, which is also a family-run business, and they, um, basically, they make dishwashing machines, but they said that, you know, licensed service people should be able to manage their machines, so don't be scared. He also said, look for refurbished machines so you can save money. Um, there's lots and lots of refurbished equipment out there, right. so you we don't necessarily need the latest and greatest. It's a good way to save money. Right, and we don't purport to be, you know, the final answer on all of the things that we're talking about, so it's always, you know, there's always a different side of the story, and we want you to, you know, do your research and do your homework and find what works best for you. We're just kind of trying to pass on some of the best ideas that we can. So um, enough with last week, we're on to this week, and we're talking about designing and building your dream restaurant. Um, so it's all about the, the functional build out of your space. And so you've chosen your partners, you've got your lease, your business plan's going, um, everything's kind of going in place, and now it's ready for design and construction. So where do you focus? What's essential? Who are the key people that will help you? Um, and then what can you do yourself? So we're here today with our friend, neighbor, and superstar chef, Missy Robbins. Hi, guys. Hi. So happy to have you on. It's Welcome. fun to be interviewing you. I know. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. <laughs> I see we you every day. I know. Every day. <laughs> Alex and I have coffee this together most mornings. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's fun to be here with headphones and microphones. Um, but Missy is the chef owner of Missy and Lilia Restaurants as in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, as Alex mentioned earlier. Um, you probably know her for her take on simplicity and using thoughtful ingredients to highlight amazing Italian cooking. But she's also super passionate about design and personally oversaw much of the process with building Lilia and Missy, where I actually saw her going to the construction site almost every day. <laughs> so I can attest to that. So welcome, Missy. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Super happy nice to have Nice little you. break in my day. I know. Um, so tell us a little bit, you know, let's start with Lilia, I think, just um, since that was the first restaurant. But you know, it's funny because Agatha and Aaron from Ovenly were on a few weeks ago and they were like, get a white box, but you did not get a white box. So tell us what no, Lilia looked I like. I got a um, pretty incredible former auto body shop. And the first time I ever looked at the at the space, there was a car in, in the middle of it. A literal um, car. A literal car um, and still kind of work going on there. And the car's not Wait, they were, it's actually enough. like... An operational body shop when you first it was at like it? semi-operational. Yeah, there had been like, yeah, sort of. Huh. It was it was it was already in progress and like we knew they were leaving and it was finished. Yeah, but but it was still going the first time I saw it. So they forgot the car. <laughs> they if you look at, if you look at Lilia's Instagram way way back, you can see a picture of it from oh, the yeah? first from the very first day. Yeah. Wow. So tell us, so how was that experience and like, you know, what was the vision and, and where did the... I think like I've always, I have, anyone who knows me knows I kind of have an aesthetic, which yeah. sort of matches the food aesthetic. Yeah, um, it it's, yep. it's Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I have sort of one color palette. I like light woods. I like grays. You like um, black. Missy's dressed in all I, black too. I'm basically, I Alex like. and I not only have coffee <laughs> together, but we wear the same clothing. Um, I... Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely knew, so I always kind of know the, the general aesthetic, but when you go into a building, you kind of have to 
adjust your aesthetic and adjust not necessarily your aesthetic, but you have to kind of work within the parameters of what that building is. The beauty of Lilia was that it has incredible, incredible bones. There are mm-hmm. original rafters there. Um, there are original windows there. There are original um, brick there. And so it's really was most of the design is about how do you how do you make the space efficient so that it, it functions? Um, but how do you also celebrate those those original details and not not screw up the building too much because you don't you don't want to do too much to a building like that. Yeah, don't fuck it up. Um, so I feel like I got like, really lucky. <laughs> is there any fear in, in taking a space that has you know old details like that that they will ha- have fault to them or that they won't handle? The I mean, I think you want to turn to experts to make sure you check all that stuff out, and we did refurbishing of some of that stuff. So we you know sanded down the rafters and. Um, you know, part of me wanted to sand them more to make it look more polished, and now I'm really happy that I was convinced not to. Uh, the windows, we replaced every single piece of glass, um, but, like, the frame is still the same, and there's leaks on occasion, and there there are things that come yeah. through the cracks, but I think, like, as you, as you build your business and you see those problems, you work to fix them as quickly as you can because you don't know every problem that's going to be there. Luckily, we haven't had anything like super, super major. They're like kind of tiny, tiny little things. Yeah. You know, it's harder to heat it. It's harder to cool it. Um, It's not, it's not insulated the same as like a brand new building might be. Um, But you just kind of work through it. And I, all of the benefits to me of having the charm of, of a space like Lilia way outweigh any anything negative that you can think about. Yeah, I mean, that's always, there's always a trade-off, right? So then it's kind of an interesting point because then, you know, Missy is completely new construction, so it's the totally other side of the coin. Yeah, and I, I think, I think um, new construction is appealing in certain ways. Like, you have this clean slate, you go in there, it was literally just a blank box. It wasn't even a box yet. It was yeah. some columns and piping um and some windows might have been in place but i think you choose different locations for different reasons and i think you know for lilia obviously the space was so appealing but and the location was appealing once we kind of figured out what what williamsburg was and what it meant and missy um, had never been to williamsburg before. i had (laughs) she was like i only know the west village i had been there but I, i i definitely wasn't planning on opening a restaurant and now too, and now living there. So yeah. um, never say never, as they say. But I think, you know, we took the Missy space because we wanted to keep building in the community. And we saw this amazing opportunity with what Two Trees was doing with the park and with the entire development site down there. And we're in the first building of of that development. And that that was really exciting to us. So the challenge there was saying, okay, well, this isn't like the coolest space in the world, like physical space, right. but it it has certainly potential and we can make it what we want to make it. And more importantly, it's where we want it to be. And it's still in Williamsburg and it's a mile from Lilia, which was really important to us for our second place. So sometimes you you make compromises on different different ways. And I don't even view it as a compromise. I just view it as doing something totally different and challenging myself in a different way to design differently. Yeah. I, yeah go ahead. I was just going to ask you to tell us a little bit about um, the timeline. Uh, you know, fortunate. It's really great for our listeners that we get to hear about designing a space that was a garage and 
you also had the experience yeah. of designing one that was white box. Did you feel like the timeline of doing one I think was longer in than the other? Total, or? they're both probably pretty similar. I I was brought into the Lilia project when some of it had been in in process already. So, like, I, I missed some of the initial the initial initial like checking to make sure there wasn't anything toxic toxic in there. The actual like. This is where the kitchen might go. This is I I I was a part of it, but I some of that was in process. So I would say like in total, um, probably pretty similar. But I mean, I spent a solid with with Missy once we signed the lease. Probably even before we st- signed officially the lease, but knew we were going to sign the lease. Yeah. I spent probably a solid six months in the design, in just in the design phase. But I also think was interesting um, just from talking to you before about designing the two restaurants is that with with Lilia, you were like less, you know, having these long meetings. But with Missy, it was like very intimately involved. And, you know, was that like a lesson learned? It was just a different I think, listen, designers and architects and interior designers are artists and everyone kind of has their own their own process. And I think there are benefit. like Lilio is much more sort of, um, I think they say in sports, uh, audibles, um, making, yeah. making calls a lot, like kind of on the spot. And that sometimes was really, was, was like right. a little difficult for me, like without sometimes seeing a drawing or a mood board Miss and just a planner. If you don't know her, I'm not a planner though. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm like in between. Yeah. So sometimes the five hour design meetings for Missy were really tough for me too. I love them. And I, and I'm very close with the designer on Missy and I've known him for nine years. Um, and that process was really fun for us, but it also can be a five hour design meeting when that's not what you do for a living can, can also be very tedious. Um, because it's not all about like, Ooh, I really love that color, that brick, that paint. I want the kitchen to go here. Sometimes like we discussed yesterday, it's about, well, where do you want that plug to go? And that's just not exciting. So I think it's very important. I think, um, I think I can land somewhere in, in, in between the two where I sort of like some of, some of the on the fly, like, okay, now we're in here, we see the space, let's give these finishing touches maybe, um, but I do, I do, I don't consider myself a, a complete planner, but I like kind of some more direction yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So both spaces, you, there were designers involved and I think you yeah. said that there were two designers even with the first space. And for then- Lilia, there was an architect, um, and then there was someone who finished with the interiors, um, and also built it so that, so that, that interior designer for, for the, for Lilia, um, was also an on-site builder. All that mm-hmm. wood that's in there, all the kind of finishing um, aesthetic stuff, not like the bones of like plumbing and things like that, but anything that was built, he sort of did all that on-site. All, all like the custom yeah. building on-site. So it's kind of yeah. interesting to have your designer and your builder do do the same thing. It was an interesting process to see, to see how he worked. And then for Missy, it was much more traditional. Our architect also does, did, Peter Guzzi did um, the the architecture and the designs, but there was, it's a big space and there, there was nothing in it. So there's a team of engineers, um, a, a team of designers, a, a, um, lots of builders. I mean, I remember going to the, the first construction meeting, um, where you got every contractor and subcontractor around the table, which did not happen at Missy. It was yeah. a much smaller sort of thing. Um, and this was much more formal and it was really intimidating. Like I was working with two trees who's developed buildings all over the city and, um, 
and and it was great to have them because they served as a great a great guide um, and brought on you know the same people that they would build to build a uh, build um, a building they they were having them use be used in the restaurant too so I think that was really um, educational for me and and I got to really meet a lot of cool um, artisans some of which were like also local in Brooklyn and we tried to pick people. Um, who, who were local and, and doing some cool stuff as well. How did, how did you guys go about, I know you might not have done it with Lily necessarily, but with Missy, how did you go about finding the designers and the architects that you ended up working with? Were you interviewing people? Were they recommendations or friends? Um, or? I'm constantly kind of interviewing and meeting designers and, and even like since we've done um, Missy and Lilia, I've met with people just because I'm interested or I'll sometimes go to a restaurant and be like, who designed that? And mm-hmm. I, and I want to meet them. And I think for me, it's just kind of part of the fun and the process. Um, for, for Missy, we worked with a gentleman named Peter Guzzi of As4 Guzzi and, um, Peter, I've known for nine years, I think. I had met him way back when I was at Avoce, and we were looking to do other projects and possibly remodeling Avoce, the original Avoce, and um, it never kind of worked out, but I remained friends with him, and he was always really, really helpful um, in my process of, like, finding a partner and looking at spaces with me and sort of kind of negating a lot of spaces that I thought were cool. He (laughs) found many, many flaws with. Um, And on this one, I remember kind of bringing him to this one and being like, okay, what do you think? Were you scared? Were you like, is he going to shoot me down? A little bit. And I think it was honestly the first one in like, three, four years of kind of having him sporadically look at things with me. But that's a great lesson. If you're, if you're able to, to bring your architect with you when you're looking at spaces and just, I think it's actually really, really important. I think, I think it's really, really important because they can see things that you just can't see. Some of them very negative and some of them very positive. So you can, with financial implications involved. So uh, also that, so you can look at, you can look at a space and be like, Oh, I think it's really cool. And he can come in and be like, yeah, (laughs) no, I mean, I remember looking at one really cool space with him in the West village that Sean and I both really loved. It was a townhouse. And I saw this like, multi kind of concept thing going on there and I remember bringing him there and he was like the no and then, <laughs> but also had the ability to go look at um to go look at records of past kind of applications to do things and found all the all the problems with the space that were like literally on record. So he like literally went and pulled like he, from like the city he records. Dug. He wow. dug for us. So like he's an extraordinary guy who's, yeah. who cares so deeply about his clients and about what he's doing. And, um, and I feel really fortunate to have gotten that experience with him. He's also designed multiple, multiple, multiple restaurants of different, very different genres yeah. and kinds. So I think having that experience with someone is is really helpful because because yeah. sometimes you can say like I want I want to put that in the restaurant. And he's like, yeah, that just doesn't. It's not going to work. Right. I mean, this I think this goes back to like making sure you're picking true experts, which mm-hmm. I think we've talked a lot Absolutely. about on the show too. And then again, to what we just one of our key takeaways is like treating your vendors like partners because obviously like you wouldn't have gotten all that experience. In right. It may be right. easier, you know, probably a little easier with the market of New York City, but I think in a smaller market, I think you really would have to vet and make sure that the architect or designer you're working with had a lot of restaurant experience to be able to sort of help you avoid some of those yeah, I mean, I've pitfalls met, of the space. I've met or, with people who have, who are amazing designers, architects, interiors, who don't have restaurant experience. And I'm, 
always really tempted to to like investigate that more closely on a, in a really positive way because I think you get a whole different perspective of right. someone who hasn't done a ton of restaurants and I think that could be really cool but there is also a caution of like functionality yeah. and design right. it's very I mean because restaurants not only have to be beautiful and not, but they have to be super functional yeah not even just functionality in terms of flow but like is that floor material going to get super dirty with 300 people trekking through it all day? Or is that paint color going to get dirty when someone drags something across it? So I think like it's not, it's when you're not a designer and when you're a chef who happens to just really love pretty things (laughs) like I do, I I think has good taste. I mean, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Are there Um, any functional, you know, design wins or losses that you feel like you had at, Lilia or Missy that that you would um, share? Well, I think they're at Lilia. I think we missed the boat on some of the back of house things. Yeah. Um, we don't have like the best locker room. We don't have an amazing prep kitchen. Um, so that the kitchen, the one line that you see when you come to Lilia is the line, and it's a very busy restaurant, and there's no. There's no other place for people to prep the pasta where they make the pasta is very small there. And while like on paper, it looked like it was going to be really amazing when you put a eight foot wood table in there, but also have your pastry section, your uh, uh, fish prep, your veg prep, like it's all in one room. This is the space behind the cafe. yeah, Yeah. And it's and so it's it's small, but I don't I don't know. I mean, I also feel really fortunate. I I grew up cooking in very small New York kitchens. Yeah. And I am told every day how big my kitchens are. So like I know that I'm really fortunate, but I think there's some like back of house wine storage is a problem at Lilia. Why do you think those things happened? Was it just like there was enough space left when it came time? Yeah, to find I think a spot it's like wine, we had this design and and like we wanted to maximize seats as much as possible without crowding it. And I think I think you just kind it got it got a little lost. And so I, I, when we went to design Missy, I think it was a real opportunity for me to say, okay, what's really missing at Lilia? And look, Lilia, Missy is uh, 1,500 square feet bigger, I think, almost 2,000 square feet bigger than, than Lilia. <laughs> but, and, and that Hence obviously... That's why you have a bigger kitchen. Well, that obviously makes for, for more seats and it makes for a bigger kitchen but there's like you still end up in that thing where there's like never enough room so like you always want to have seats seats come trumps everything right but though i i didn't want like look in any restaurant you can probably always fit a few more and peter kept trying to like add seats like (laughs) okay we're at 110 we're and i was like no take it down i want it under 100 what's your seat count now 98 plus the the pasta room at night turns into private dining so um so like it it's a nice size and that's like a size i'm comfortable with but like the coat closet's still too small the office is still too small the wine storage is still too small so like you think you're you think you're creating this like perfect space and sometimes like what you i think as an as a obviously novice or non-designer it's really hard to look at things for me, at least. I don't know if everyone feels this way, but on two-dimensional piece of paper, it's really, really hard to look at a drawing and be like, "Yeah, that's the right office size." So, like yeah. Peter could tell me a hundred times that the office is ten by six, 
And I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. And on paper, yeah, sixty square feet. And on like, paper, yeah. it looks right. And right. then when it went up, I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> so and you're like, where's Sean? I mean, not li- no, no, forget about me and Sean. It's, <laughs> it's like, like a one man. Yeah. Forget about they. They work in the restaurant. It's like a one man show in yeah. there. Like they right. they use it to do like very menial tasks, which in a way is also great because it keeps people out of the office and on in and the on restaurant. The floor. Yeah. Um, but like there are little things like that, and there's some things that you just can't fix. Like once it's once it's done, it's done, and and the walls are up, and the framing's up, and you can't change it. Yeah. But bottom line, you always find a way to make it work, right? This well, is that is also business. true, and yeah. I think you also have to just be like, okay, we did this. How do we make it work? And I think yeah. I think you just have to be creative sometimes, and and you do generally m- make it work. Yeah. On that note, let's take a super quick break to hear from our friends at Bento Box, and we'll come back with more with Missy. Marie, a longtime public school teacher, decided to change paths and turn her passion for baking into a career. She believed bread could have a big social impact and bring the community together, but she knew her bakery could be bigger than bread alone. In 2018, Cafe Du Pen opened its doors, serving breads, pastries, and cakes, while launching initiatives like the Birthday Cake Project that help local youth who are impacted by homelessness and poverty. Marie is an influential and generous figure in the Lawrenceville, New Jersey community. Bento Box helped Cafe Du Pen build an online image and beautiful new website that attracts new guests and sells tickets for their junior bakers classes and teaches kids valuable life skills. Cafe Du Pen is one of 4,000 that's powered by Bento. Visit getbento.com slash opening soon to learn more. All right, and welcome back. Uh, we're chatting with Missy Robbins of Missia and Lilia Restaurants in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Uh, and we'll do just a couple of key points from the first half uh, that I thought were interesting. One, that the character of um, Lilia in particular you know, outweighed sort of any of the difficulty long-term with the building of, of a raw space like that. Um, number two is if you have the opportunity, if you've already met the person or... Uh, to be able to bring your architect or your designer with you when you're visiting, you know, your final spaces. Obviously, don't trek them along for 40 <laughs> real estate visits because they probably will leave you pretty quickly. All the but designers <laughs> out there are like, what the <laughs> do hell? Do not. I'm not Thank doing you. that. You're <laughs> But in the long run, I it will make their you know. life easier. It'll make you know. It'll make your your restaurant. More I think successful. I do think they're pretty willing to do it. Actually, I've brought designers to spaces that I was potentially going to work with, yeah. not even people right. that I knew very well, because I wanted to see what they thought and how their brains worked on site. Yeah, and yeah. they were more than happy to do it. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good point because then it's also a, an interview process for, for a little bit. Yeah, it's part of the uh-huh. interview process yeah. for sure. And then the third one was that um, no matter how well you design the space or what you forget to put in, that there's always a way to make it work. And you know, it's a, it's a restaurant. You'll you'll find your way through and Very uh, true. find a place to put your wine. One thing I'm curious about is that, that we haven't really gotten into, but I know it's like always, you know, budget's always an issue, right? So like, are there times with building either Lilia or Missy where you're like, we have to sacrifice here? And how did you make those? <laughs> every know, every every day. day. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there are always times where you have to. It, I don't. I don't know that I've ever heard of anyone's project that doesn't 
isn't over budget. Wouldn't or doesn't that be need, nice? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't need to be cutting here and there. And I think, I think the most important thing is when, when you do have to make cuts to make them in a way that's not sacrificing your vision and not sacrificing your aesthetic. Um, and things that like, you're the only person you and your designer are like maybe the only two people who, who might notice. Um, so we, we cut, some things we we change some things so like sometimes it might just be as simple as picking a very similar light fixture that's a couple hundred dollars cheaper um or but like has the very very same look um sometimes it's as big as like a wall was supposed to be done in wood and you decide to just paint it instead um and those like at the in the moment the the decisions are tough but i think you you have to work with your designer to make those decisions together because they're going to know what's really going to affect a space and what's not. And so like you can say like I need to cut x y and z and they can be like, "Well, you don't really need to do that. I would cut this instead because it's not and and it's also sometimes a, a matter of changing materials." Yeah. Um there, there were, and, and sometimes that's for functionality and sometimes like, sometimes you say, oh, we're going to do this in steel and it's going to look great. And then sometimes you get in there and for functionality purposes, you decide that it's not the right material. And sometimes it takes like a moment for you to recalibrate your brain to like deal with another material and then you get over it and then you have this restaurant and you're fine. <laughs> right. I know it's like in the moment you feel like it's the biggest deal, but in the end, a hundred percent in the same vein of budget, how do you feel about, um, I know there's some lore that Sean built some of the bathrooms in your first restaurant. <laughs> Listen, How do you feel about the DIY? I think there might process? be. I think there might <laughs> be lore that Sean built all of Missy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, we love you, Sean. Um, hi, Sean. How do you feel about the um, DIY process? I'm not a DIYer. Okay. Like that's just not not my thing. Right. Um, I I have vision and I have aesthetic and like I know what I like and I think as the two of you know I'm extremely opinionated. Yeah. Um you're better explaining it than like hammering. Yeah, I'm not I yeah, it's just not my thing. But I I told you about a very good may I give a call out? Yeah, please. My my friend Julia Jaksik, um one of my best friends in the world who's who's a chef and she was here in New York for many, many years as the chef and partner at Employees Only, moved to Nashville an open cafe rose about two years ago, just about two years ago, like this week, I think actually. And she, I mean, she is the ultimate, she's a chef. She's extremely creative as a chef. She's designed her whole restaurant herself. She picked a contractor. She made the plans with the contractor. She bought every piece of material. She, she was in there like, doing cool things on walls. Um, and she was on a really tight budget and, and I, it worked for her. Like that's who she is and she's really good at it. And, um, I think if you can do that and you can open a, 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 um, restaurant and do it on a budget and be really comfortable and know that you're, you're good at it. It's not, it's not, what I'm good at. It's, right. Yeah, it goes back to knowing your strengths. Focus so it's like that strengths. is, yeah, focus on your strengths. So that sounds like, you know, yeah. to go see Juliet Cafe Rose. Here yeah, in please go see Juliet Cafe um, Rose. But yeah, should we go through some lightning round? Lightning round stuff? Oh, I love sure. a lightning round, guys. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, no. You don't no. like <laughs> who likes a lightning round? Well, the ones that we sent you are not these. We sent we I'm changed sure. it completely. I have no, I have no, I have no doubt. Do you think I read totally the ones you pressed. sent me? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Missy. I did. I did. Missy I did. prepped for our oh, interview, guys. I Thanks, did. Missy. Um, 
so yeah, so you these, start can be, it. these can be quick one to two word answers or you can elaborate yes. up to you. Um, one word that describes how you feel about being your own boss. Elated. Elated. Yeah. Um, next one is number of days off in the first year of business at Lilia. I actually took days off. I didn't take a day off until we got reviewed. And then I started taking Sundays and then gradually started. How long did it take to get reviewed? reviewed? Oh, like, like I don't know, six weeks, something, six <laughs> weeks, crazy. 10 weeks, something. And we opened, we That's opened fast. January 19th and we got reviewed March something or other. It was, it was, it was That's very fast. quick. quick yeah. um, I believe in taking days off. I mean, I, I think um, for anyone who's listened to me over the past couple of years, I, I took some time off and, um, you know, learned about balance. So I, I believe in days off. And you install that in your employees. Too. I sure try. Is, I really try. Which is yeah. great. Um, this is less pertinent, but number of days off last week. I'm guessing it was two. I, I mean, oh no, I just you were on got, vacation. I, well, I got like back last week. week. <laughs> I, I, Missy has a post of glow been, about yeah. her. <laughs> it's, I'm keeping it alive. Basking in the Italian sun. I'm yes. Um, here, here in Bushwick. <laughs> okay, so you are a world-renowned traveling speaker on the power of restaurant design. Give us your one-line motivational quote. Stick to your vision. Ooh, oh, that's good a one. good one, Missy. Thank you, Jenny. Dream location for restaurant number three. Uh, this week, the Alps in in Italy. Again. The Alps, yeah, the Alps. Chile. Uh, not this not this time of year it's yeah. not chilly okay beautiful all right <laughs> we will go visit yeah i'll definitely come visit you in, in the alps it could change next week it could be <laughs> milan let's just say italy okay. all right italy yeah so you're gonna be an american chef cooking italian food in italy that's my dream you asked uh, what the dream was yeah that's, i like it that's right. the dream I'm just reiterating no, no pressure about your, about I don't. Being the American chef cooking I don't. Food. I seriously would love to do it. Like, yeah. honestly, uh, there's nothing that would make me happier. Cool. Mm. What's your favorite thing about designing a restaurant? I think there's so much that goes in into the process. And there's just, it's not just about, like, the kitchen or the dining room. But it's, like, picking everything. And we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about the interview is um, the design of everything so plates glassware graphics the whole kind of brand and and what that means and you can have this like beautiful space and then really screw it up if everything else kind of doesn't go with it and and i remember doing the branding for lilia and it didn't like feel right at certain points once i saw the space come together so it's often like good not to necessarily a hundred percent do your branding before you really understand what this space is. Did you change things right. about your branding afterwards? No, but I got like nervous that the branding wasn't right. I, I'm in love with both of our brands and, yeah. and I think it's great and I and I work really hard on the I work equally as hard on the branding with our with our graphics person as I do on on the design. But I um no, I just there was like a certain point where I saw things coming together and I was like, is this right? And I think you always kinda question it. Yeah. How do you how do you do that? How do you um Obviously, you don't go one day and buy everything from plates to tiles on the floor to <laughs> wall finishing. It's like, how, how do you do that without, you know, and keep it all, you know, very aligned? I think then, you do the, the building design and the space design first. Right. And, and then because obviously it takes more time and it takes time to build it. And while you're in the building process and as you've already picked out 
all of those materials, your bar materials, your back bar, your thing, you can have a, a, a kind of bigger vision of what the space, and I'm not saying that like dishes need to match the space, um, but like there has to be some some flow, I think. But yeah, yeah, I but, agree. But like same, I, I'll should, tell you, what, I, do I have time for a little? Like, yeah. Yeah, run. So I had this vision for Missy that to contrast the very super kind of clean modern design that I wanted to use all vintage um, like cordial glasses for Amaro and Grappa. Oh, really? And I had my mother, sorry, mom, <laughs> running all over the place to these like consignment stores and and uh, Talia, my girlfriend, like picking up um, stuff in Paris and all these glasses. I now have 200 plus cordial glasses sitting in my house they're sitting in my apartment (laughs) because when I brought them to um when I brought them to the restaurant and I like kind of put them on the shelves a few weeks before we opened I'm like this looks really (laughs) silly in here so like again you can have this like like I'm constantly trying to get myself out of this modern like Scandinavian yeah. kind of look and I constantly am trying to do it and it's just not it doesn't it doesn't work I will use the I use the glasses at home which is awesome so Amara yeah. party at a yes, Missy's house having, for 200 yeah. people and, and uh, no I'm not kidding like my poor mom um, and the glasses are beautiful like I have I'm, I'm now psyched I have them and I'm sure I will open something someday where we, we can use them yes, eBay um, eBay, eBay page we'll give you the listing when, when I move to Italy they'll be coming <laughs> they'll be coming to the Alps with Missy. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the in the same vein about your your favorite thing about designing, is there one like special component of Missy that you're really proud of? I know that like the tiles with the lines on them was something you talked about in building. Is there anything like that that I you... mean, in general, the pasta room. The pasta. That's room. like something I've wanted for so long, and. Um, just sort of inspired by my time that I did spend cooking in Italy 20 years ago of like these dedicated kind of rooms that I didn't see a lot of them, but I worked in a few places, even if it was like a basement and it yeah. was just like someone making pasta. Right. I wanted a place that was really dedicated to that. Um, and I ha- and when we, when Sean and I saw the space that Missy now occupies for the first time, it was like so clear to both of us that where the pasta room lies now is where the pasta room was going to be. I mean, that was like the first thing we decided when we walked so into Sean space. Sean was on board that you should have a pasta room the whole time. Too. If you've was, not been to Sean Missy, was, Sean was definitely on board with it. Yeah, yeah, he loved it. Yeah. If you haven't been there, the pasta room is not just a room in the basement. It's a, <laughs> it's a beautiful room that's very functional for every I chef who's it, done right? time but, in the basement. But yeah. it's also an entire wall of glass that before you come into the restaurant, you can see people in their, you know, hand making tortellis and doing everything it's cool and besides that like it gives our staff an amazing room to work in and and where they can really like spread out and and get get it done they're making now that we're open for lunch i mean we're probably selling close to 500 pastas a day plus 500 portions of pasta a day close probably and everything you obviously make in house yeah Yeah. every single pasta made in house how many hours a day is spent making pasta a day uh four people four four Three to five people a day, depending on the day, um, and eight out, eight hours each. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of hours spent in that room, so yeah. well worth it. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit, and I think I know your answer, but what's your least favorite thing about Missy's design? 
My least favorite thing about Missy's design is the the um, bathroom sinks. Oh, really? Oh, the bathroom sinks. I thought the it was bath- the plugs on the wall. The bathroom was that was that. No, that was just me being annoyed <laughs> by having to, um, No, the bathroom sinks. What's wrong with the bathroom sinks? They're un- not, not functional. They're just oh, like... Oh, it's like the handles spray, are a little... The handles are weird. The water sprays all over the place. I'm constantly, yeah. like every time I go in the bathroom, <laughs> like just wet. wiping, wiping, <laughs> wiping up water. Um, I love it. Yeah, I would say There's that. There's not a lot of misses. But yeah. There's not a lot of misses, yeah. but this also goes back to even if you're a business owner, you're still cleaning up after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> still Good cleaning point. the bathroom. Still Good cleaning point. the bathroom. I take it. I do it though because it's like my own fault that I put those sinks in. You know, <laughs> I take full responsibility. <laughs> what's your um, What's your favorite thing on the Lily or Missing menu? Whoa. Jenny, you're about to have your second child. <laughs> yeah. I think they, they tell you not to pick favorite kids. Oh, you don't have to pick like... I'm f- going to pick right now my yeah, favorite. Yeah, that's right now. Right, right, now. Na- right, now. right now, my favorite at Lilia, which is probably going to go away in the next like three days, so get um, is, is uh, Ramp Tortelli Those are with so good. prosciutto and mint. Um, that's one of my favorites. And at Missy, my favorite right this second is... Um, Probably the porcini that I'm going to run as a special tonight. Oh, so if you're a lucky diner at Missy tonight, you heard it here first. My favorite thing is your ramp focaccia at Lilia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also going away. (gasps) Ramps are like pretty. I'm like I'm like begging. I'm begging for them. They're pretty much non-existent Mm. right at the moment. What's but what what's the most ordered thing on the menu at Lilia and Missy? Uh, Lilia the agnolotti. Um, Missy, the uh, tortelli, I believe. Really, over the peppers and ricotta. Uh, they may be. I, I love yeah, that peppers they, and they, ricotta. They may be pretty close. Okay. Um, I'll show you my stats later. No. <laughs> <laughs> just curious. I feel like <laughs> I see it on every table. It's on everybody's it on Instagram page. Yeah, yes, fair. it's probably it's probably peppers. Definitely the most shared item on yeah, the it's menu. Yeah, it's probably... It's interesting. Yeah. That should be another question. What's the most Instagrammed item yeah. on the menu? Hmm, we're adding in a third. I don't think we're going to go there. Uh, yeah. I don't think we're going to we'll go there. We'll save that for another... Yeah, that's another... That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Um, all right, last one. You're an inspiration to many people in the industry. Who inspires you? I mean, so, so many people, but I think the people that have inspired me the most are the people um, in my life, like Tony Montuano and Jonathan Waxman, who... I've watched just have crazy longevity in this business. Nancy Silverton, she ate at Lilia last night. Um, those, those people like are the. I hope that my career can have the same longevity as theirs, and just the same the same kind of success that all all three of those people have had. Cool. Yeah, you you told us a, a story about uh, <laughs> about John the Waxman, kind of sharing with you some of the the realities of the size of your restaurant. I thought that was really interesting and neat to, cause I think everyone, you know, is looking for a mentor in their business and, yeah. um, and how important that was to you. Yeah. I was, I was unemployed and wanted to open a little 40 seat West village restaurant. And I don't know even how Jonathan knew that, but, um, he called me into, he, Bar- just knows. he, he ca- just he knows. did. He did. <laughs> he kind of like that. He called me into Barbudo one day and said he wanted to talk to me and pulled me down into his office and started showing me, uh, a lot of P&Ls and uh, just kind of showing me like what it takes to, to do that and at, at what point I was in my career and did I really want to not have a chef de cuisine and did I really want to, did I have the funds to be able to just, you know, 
not be a working chef or be a working chef and how hard it is to, to do that. So I still someday would, would like my little tiny restaurant. Um, in Italy. But, but in Italy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that mentorship is, is really important. And, and at this point in my career, I, I really try and spend a lot of time mentoring other people. And, and, and that's actually what excites me the most right now is is sort of that and being able to kind of help people flourish in in their careers yeah i mean i think that's a good point is you know don't be afraid to ask other people for advice and for help and it's one of the reasons why we're having this show is because i feel like you know people are scared to ask for help and there's not like an easy resource for knowledge so direct message missy we'll give you your cell phone yeah no (laughs) it's hard it's really hard it's scary to open your own place and it's and it's um you know, I think for me, I had been in the business for so long, but I didn't know how to design a space and I didn't know how to hire an architect and I didn't know how to like deal with a lot of things. And so I think, I think mentorship is, is an important part of it. So important. Thank you for mentoring people in the industry. Cool. Um, well, next week, tune in as we chat team building and culture with Chef Stephen Satterfield of Miller Union in Atlanta and John Cyber of Tail Up Goat in Washington, D.C., our first uh, out of New York chefs coming in to chat. Uh, special thanks again to Missy Robbins for being here. Um, if your dog ate your notebook and you didn't take notes today, we've got your back. You can check our blog on tillitnyc.com to catch our wrap-up of key points from today. Um, Missy, tell everybody where to find you. I am in Williamsburg. Um, Lilia is in uh, North 10th and Union, and Missy is at 325 Kent at Kent and South 4th in Williamsburg. And they can follow you on Instagram where? At Missy A. Robbins, at Missy New York, at Lilia New York. Cool. And for us, follow the journey on Heritage Radio and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at We Are Opening Soon and at Till It NYC. If you like what we're doing, tell everyone you know. Uh, follow our podcast. Give us a rating and a review. Five stars, please. <laughs> and like that's it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Missy. Thank you, guys, for having me. Super fun. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.